If you or a loved one has a hoarding problem, let's work together on a solution. Hello, everyone. Thank you for stopping by the Hoarding Solution podcast. Today, we have the privilege of talking with Joel Stewart, who runs International Franchise Marketplace, and he has some great um, things that he works on, and I'm happy to have him here today telling us about his story and um, just giving that message of hope that I think we could all use. So welcome, Joel. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm happy you had the time to chat with us. So tell us a little bit more about you and um, kind of where, how you got to be doing what you're doing. Well, it's kind of a, a long story, so I'll try to keep it short for the listeners. I wouldn't want them to get bored. Um, so I, I, I was in the Navy. Uh, I, got, I had a background in mechanical engineering. I joined the Navy Civil Engineer Corps. And uh, after about seven years, eight years there, uh, I came down with kind of a, a mystery illness. It was pretty bad. I, I got a bunch of different diagnoses. I got uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, uh, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, otherwise known as POTS. Uh, things were pretty w- rough. Uh, I would probably say in the darkest times, um, you know, I, I struggled with just unwanted, unbidden suicidal thoughts. I think they're called ideations. I just come into your head. You don't want to think about it, but they do. Uh, but yeah, I, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. The fatigue was bad. My wife had to drive me around. She's amazing. By the way. I, I, my arms would fatigue on the steering wheel. I, I couldn't chew a sandwich. I had to have, eat like non-chewy things because my jaw would fatigue. Uh, so that's just some examples. Um, and they, they medically retired me from the military. Nobody could tell me what was wrong with me. Uh, and I went through, after I got through the worst part of it, I went through about uh, four more years where it was just um, just like a holding pattern. I couldn't, I, I couldn't get out of a couch really. And, uh, and so I just watched everybody living their lives. You know, I just got to see him doing it. And I, you know, I, I wrote a book, that was a, a fiction novel, which maybe I'll publish someday. Uh, but you know, I, that, that's, that's all I did. And, and all I was focused on that whole time is what I couldn't do. And when I started to come out of that, once I, I st- started to figure some stuff out and I started to come out on the other side of that, and I was able to sit up in a chair for more than an hour. That was kind of my trigger point. And I was like, I can sit up in a chair for more than an hour. Whoa. Uh, I immediately threw out some applications and went back for my MBA. And uh, so I went, when I was getting my MBA, it was, that was actually a pretty tough story as well. Cause even though I could sit in a chair for an hour my night classes were two, three hours. Uh, there were times I would lay down on the floor in the back of the room or go out into the hallway and just lay down on the floor in the hallway. It was, it was a night class. So luckily there wasn't a lot of traffic. Uh, but I just, I physically couldn't sit up for the whole class. Uh, but I, I kept going and, um, and my, my symptoms kept getting better and I started getting more and more capable and that just built on this thing. And, and, and eventually I had this mindset switch where I said, I need to focus not on what I can't do. I need to focus on what I, I, I can do, right? <laughs> There's lots of things I can't do. And, and everyone, even fully able-bodied people have lots of things they can't do. And if you focus on all those things you can't do, you'll never focus on what you can do. And that was the mindset change that went through me during that period when I was going back to school and I was struggling through sitting up in the chairs and, um, you know, is, is I need to start focusing my life on what was possible and what I could do and what was available to me instead of just lamenting about all the things I used to be able to do in the past. 
And uh, so I, I, I guess I'll continue with my story. Uh, so I, I, after I got my MBA, I started a commercial real estate and business brokerage. My family had a, a residential real estate. Uh, I had got an MBA with a commercial real estate concentration. Um, so I went into that and I, I did it because it made sense. I'm sure a lot of people here make life choices and they just go from thing to thing because they make sense, uh, not because it's something they want to do. And uh, now, now I actually have a term for that. I call it career prison. It's where all the things you've done in the past, you feel are defining your future and you don't have a choice. You're stuck doing it and uh, there's no way to change it. So I call that career prison. Um, and that's what I was in. I, I was doing the commercial real estate. I was, I was doing the business brokerage. I was going for my CCIM, uh, which is the professional commercial real estate certification. I was going for my CBI, certified business intermediary for business brokerage. And that's when I discovered franchise consulting, uh, which is what I do now. I was at a, the national conference for the International Business Brokers Association. It was co-sponsored by my franchise group, uh, the International Franchise Professionals Group. And, uh, and I realized, and the thing that hit me immediately, like day one, I, I heard about this and I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. Because, uh, you know, starting a whole new career from scratch with a five-year gap is not, it's not easy. Um, and so you don't know what you're going to do. You just do what makes sense. Not necessarily something that you're good at or that you want to do. And I realized uh, that I, that using franchising, I could help people who were stuck in career prison. And that, and that was something that was very personal to me. And so eventually I actually, I phased out the commercial real estate and business brokerage over the next couple of years, just to focus completely on franchise consulting. Um, and through that, and just stepping out in courage and uh, uh, just taking advantage of the opportunities in front of me, I, I've I've gotten the opportunity now to speak in multiple countries. Um, I actually just finished an event for, uh, for the U.S. Embassy and American Chamber of Commerce in Bahrain uh, based on franchising uh, for their Discover America Week. And I've done a lot of different events now uh, for different uh, AmCHAMs and embassies around the world, and I've got more planned in the spring. Uh, so it's, everything's just kind of evolved, but nothing happened until I was able to make that mindset switch about going from what I couldn't do and focusing on that and then focusing on what I could. And I think that's probably, you know, if I were to focus on my life story and like the biggest, uh, the biggest lesson learned is that that mindset is the most important thing. And it's amazing how key that really is. When you're trying to figure out anything, I think it starts with that shift to what can I do? I mean, like you're saying, even if you've never experienced a physical issue, <laughs> it can be really hard to understand someone who who has, you know, if you haven't gone through that, I think there's a lot of people that think you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And I have this idea that, well, what if you've already used them? Or what if you can't find them? Like, maybe you don't have any bootstraps right now. Where'd they go? <laughs> Where'd they go? And unless you've survived that, you don't understand that you really have to start looking at what can you do with what you have. And it may not be what other people have at their disposal. But, like, to have the wherewithal to say, okay, I can finally sit in a chair. Now I'm going to take myself back to college and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to be in that environment, in that, you know, I'm going to lay on the floor if I have to. Like, that ability to follow through like that 
is something I really see in the veteran community. And if you're trying to grow a business, you really need to have that level of grit and resilience, you know, it, and, and being able to push yourself forward to that is, I mean, that's amazing, you know, to actually- Another important thing uh, is being able to swallow your pride. That's, <laughs> that is a huge, we, we all, we all grow up with this intrinsic sense uh, through various things. Uh, well, I wouldn't say all, but a lot of us grow up with this sense of, I don't need anybody else's help. Um, you know, for me, I, I had a series of things where I had to swallow my pride that got me to the point where I was willing to go to school, even if I had to lay down on the floor. I mean, that's kind of humiliating, <laughs> laying down on the back of a floor in an MBA class. Um, but so, I mean, it started with, you know, me not being able to drive, me having to get pushed through for my medical appointments in a wheelchair. Um, you know, uh, you know so the, yeah, I, I had to get that electronic, when I got that motorized wheelchair and uh, I, I was able to get to the, the base, this is before I got medically uh, retired. And I'm, I'm at, uh, it was CB days, down at uh, NCBC Gulfport. And so they had all these events and stuff. And I, I got the, the wheelchair out and I'm driving around and the comments everybody kept saying to me, I couldn't tell you the number of times I heard this is, oh man, they'd have to kill me before I'd sit in one of those. It's just like people had this sense of pride, like I would die before I had to sit in a mechanized wheelchair. And it's like, well, once, you, once you've not been able to go anywhere, I mean, that's how I went out. Like the only way I could go outside, but I had a little daughter at the time, like two years old. The only way I could go outside and actually interact with her was in this motorized wheelchair. You know? So it's like when you have the choice between not living life or swallowing your pride, that's something you do. You know, another thing was I needed we needed help with the kids. My wife was amazing. But between taking care of me and we just, you know, my wife was pregnant with my second kid when this happened, um, you know, between handling two kids and I'm like a big kid at this point, uh, you know, not just maturity wise. <laughs> they, they say, uh my, my slogan always is men don't grow up. They become situationally mature. Right. Mm. But no, I, I was like a kid in that I needed so much help. And so we had to move back up to Connecticut. And this is where my family came in and said, Hey, you know, we have basically an in-law apartment in our basement. You guys want to move in. So I moved back in with my, with my mom mm. and her in-law in the basement. I mean, at, at the age of 30, <laughs> that's, that's not something you ever want to go through. I mean, luckily that was a somewhat temporary situation. Um, but it was, we needed the help. We needed help with me, with the kids. Uh, it was, it was definitely a tough time. And so I was going through these and realizing I can't get through life without the help of others. Uh, that really laid the groundwork for me to be able to focus on what I was able to do. And having that family support, I mean, we don't always have that and it can be hard to recognize when we need it and accept it. And I think it, it just, it is one of those key things once you start to realize that you don't have to do this by yourself. And in fact, you probably won't survive it well if you don't start asking and accepting and letting people step in when it makes sense. You know, I, um, and I want to just tap into what you said about the, the wheelchair or having some way to, to get around on your own. There's this freedom in that. Um, that you could not have any other way and my younger brother was in a wheelchair and his perspective was pretty much the same thing like if this is what I have to use to get out of here on my own and go down to the store and go to youth group and whatever then that is exactly what I'm going to do and 
he had a great sense of humor despite physical challenges and i i see where he did choose to focus on well maybe i can't do this but i sure can laugh i sure can find you know things that uh, i can do whether it's writing or computers or legos or whatever and just so i really see the mindset being the key piece in in moving through a lot of these things just like you're saying yeah for sure so what are you what are you doing now what are you you know what's your focus and i like the term career prison because i too have been in there (laughs) i think i think like probably 80 percent of people at least 80 percent are in career prison (laughs) so i mean it seems like a lot of us have spent like you know time in things that we I get survival mode. I've been there. We all do that. But once you can start looking at, you know, what you can bring to the table, I would think that shifts what you, you start to maybe look at, maybe there's an escape from this prison. Yeah. I actually, I wrote a book about that. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the career prison thing is the inspiration where I got into franchising. So what I do in franchising is I'm a consultant. People, I'm kind of like a headhunter, like you would have for employment where people come to me and they say, I want to start a franchise business, but this is what I have for money. This is what I have for skills. These are the type of things I'd like to get into. And I, and I work with, you know, a couple hundred different franchises. And so I, I look through my portfolio and I can connect them with the franchise that fits what they're looking to do. Um, but that's not, uh, that's not ultimately my passion is helping people basically escape career prison to, to look at what they can do and optimize it. So my, like I said, my background is in engineering and then I got a business degree. And so when you combine engineering and business, uh, you get the, you know, kind of like the breaking down problem solving skills of an engineer with, a, with you know, the business and understanding how all that stuff works. And I, I wrote a book that uh, is just, just came out um, called The Value Equation. So The Value Equation, I'm an engineer. So, you know, I like tying things to an equation, but I talk about, um, basically how you can optimize your life and what you're doing. And so this is not looking at your life as, uh, as a set of options in front of you. Oh, this is what I'm stuck doing. Here's, here's my history. And now I'm stuck in this path. It's looking at your history as a foundational element to whatever you're building towards, you know, I, it, goal setting is obviously something that's very important with this. Um, but I break it down into several categories. So, you know, the first thing is skill development and we, I go into, uh, what are you doing to develop your skills? You know, what have you done to develop your skills? This, this foundation that you're sitting your life on, and, and one of the taglines that I use is, um, your next step is the foundation of your future. And, you know, by, by putting that backwards, the, where you're standing right now is the result of your last step. Uh, but I like looking forward. I don't like looking backwards. So your next step is the foundation of your future. What you decide to do now today is going to set up what your whole rest of your life is going to get built off of. So the first thing we look at is we look at skills and you have to say, uh, here's what I've got for skills. You know, here's the foundation I'm currently sitting on. You know, I've got these degrees, I've got these aptitudes, you know, these are my interests. I do these for hobbies. Uh, Here's my work experience. Here's certifications. Here's some program specific knowledge. I have all these things I've developed. Um, This is what I have. So if I look into the future and I backtrack where I want to go, what skills do I need? What can I start developing? What programs can I learn? What certifications can I aim for? Uh, What interests can I pick up? Uh, Are there jobs that might even be a pay cut for now, but 
I call it strategic employment, but are there jobs I can take that will give me specific skills I need to get where I want to go? Uh, for instance, um, say, uh, say you're an engineer, uh, you might take a job doing non-engineering work that's a management role so that you've got uh, experience in engineering and management because you want to uh, kind of maybe skip a rung or two of the ladder or get into to managing your own engineering team and you want to be more effective at it. I mean, that's just, there's different ways you can combine all, the, all your different skills. But the idea is that you use what you have and then you add other elements to it to, to get where it is that you want your life to go. And then the next thing we talk about is fit factor. So, you know, not all skills uh, apply to all jobs and they don't all get paid the same. Um, you know, if, if a CEO of a Fortune 500 company goes and gets a job as a cashier, well, he's still getting minimum wage or close to it, you know? Right. Uh, so it doesn't matter what the skills he has. If he doesn't fit, if those skills don't fit the job, you're not going to get paid the most. And so I, I talk about different ways we, that you can do that. And I talk about how you can have a qualified job, underqualified job, overqualified job. Uh, and I actually push people towards underqualified jobs, which may <laughs> seem funny. As long as you're not, as long as you're being uh, authentic, as long as you're not trying to say that you are qualified and you're not, a lot of employers, if you show you're motivated, you're willing to learn and you're a go-getter, uh, they will hire you. But an underqualified job, you're going to get the paid the most for the skills you have. You're going to learn skills that you never would have learned at a pace you never would have learned them, uh, which is going to make you more valuable faster in the future. And so as much as it may seem odd, you know, if, if someone's really looking to like break out in their life and they may get a lot of rejection going for an underqualified job, but that's where they're going to get paid the most and learn the most. And for those reasons, it's it's worth dealing with probably a fair amount of rejection to try to get those jobs uh, because that's where they're going to grow the most. Uh, so after we talk a bit about fit factor and the different things that go into that, we talk about profit share. So profit share is where I actually do talk about franchising a little bit. I, I know franchising my specialty, but I don't talk about it very much. Um, but in profit shares, as if you're an employee, uh, you're probably, if it's a good company, if it's a, a healthy company, you're probably only getting 20 to 40% of, of the market value that you create. And I, I don't define market value as revenue. I define it as what you get paid plus what your employer takes home as profit for the work that you do. Uh, and I, I actually did some numbers off of uh, a big American company that did, uh, you know, like 60 billion in profits. And I, I did some numbers on the number of employees and their average pay. And their average employee was generating 600,000 in what I would call market value, their profit plus their pay. Wow. And uh, if you break it down, they're basically getting 20%. The average pay was like 120,000. So they're basically getting 20% of their market value as an employee, but 120,000 is still great pay, right? And so that's where you combine that with, with business ownership and, uh, and possible franchise business ownership, which is slightly different because you're, uh, it's basically more of a partnership. Right. Um, and you've got these different ways and it basically it quantifies down to if, if you work an extra 10 hours, 20 hours a week, how much of that labor are you taking home? You know, if you're working minimum wage and, and you're putting an extra 20 hours a week, you're probably much better suited spending that 20 hours a week building another skill set that'll get you into another job or taking a part-time job that teaches you a different skill. Um, because you're just, you're not, if you're only taking home 20% of the additional revenue you're making the company, you can work yourself to death and never see a whole lot more income. 
Uh, whereas if you go into business ownership or, or franchise business ownership, there's a lot more risk, but you can leverage employees. So you take home that profit section uh, instead of somebody else. And it allows you to grow and scale your efforts. Uh, so that's where I talk about with profit share. And it's not that I, I, I don't, in my book, I don't disparage employment. I think employment is completely valid. I mean, there are lots of business owners that uh, may take home 100% of the profit that they make, um, but you know they're not making 120,000 like the employees at the other company. So uh, it's, I'm not disparaging any one way. I'm just, I'm trying to, to break out different ways that you can look at your value. Cause all of my, the whole book is about trying to understand where that take home, that, that check you get at the end of the month is a physical check um, and what factors feed into that check and how can you improve them? So that's what I'm going through here with profit share. Um, then I talk about perceived value. Perceived value is something that people don't realize. Um, you know, it, it, for instance, today at this interview, I'm wearing a, a, a suit and a, and a collared shirt. I could have worn a polo shirt. I could have worn a t-shirt, uh, but I'm making a first impression here with the people in this audience. And a first impression is something that you can never get a second shot at. So whenever I'm meeting somebody new, especially in a professional setting, I go out of my way to make sure that I put on my best face. This is my best face. If you don't like it, I'm sorry, I can't do any better. <laughs> um, but that's an, like, that is part of it. So there are people that, walk around, that may walk around and say, look, if you don't like me, that's your fault. And I say, no, if, if, if they don't like you because you're not doing your best to create a good first impression, and that affects you in a negative way professionally, or, or it feeds into your bottom line in the future. That's the, or not your fault, your, uh, your problem. I was say that's the definition of your problem is, is not, it's not their problem. It's your problem because uh, it's affecting your quality of life. Um, so I, I talk a lot about that. I talk about how important it is to network in your community, um, to get mentors, to, to do different things, to give back, not only because giving back is important, but that it changes the perception that people have of you. And uh, it creates good first impressions. If their first impression of you is that you're out there helping your community through a nonprofit or uh, some other you know, philanthropic organization, then that is a good first impression you wanna have because it feeds into something else that I call it, well, it's called confirmation bias. It's getting a lot of popularity now. It wasn't as popular term a couple of years ago, but uh, given all the different manipulations we've had with the, the different election stuff, confirmation bias is becoming a little more commonly known. Uh, but what people, a lot of people don't realize confirmation bias isn't just about what you read. So if you may have heard the term when talking about news, like you read a news article and your confirmation bias defines whether you agree with it or not. And just to give people a layman's definition, confirmation bias is when you already believe something. And so when you see something that confirms it, you automatically assume that that's valid. And if you see something that's against what you already think is true, you'll automatically assume that it's wrong. So if you have some political view or some view of society and you see a news article, it could be fake news. It could be completely bogus. Uh, but if you already believe that that's probably true, then you're going to give it credibility. And there could be something else saying, hey, uh, that's fake news. You shouldn't believe that. Well, if, if it's your confirmation bias that it is true, you're going to disregard them. Right. And this goes on. It happens everywhere. But where I'm tying this into the value equation is that with confirmation bias, everyone has a confirmation bias towards almost everything, including you. So the people right. you meet in life, based a lot of it based on that first impression, um, if they start, if they walk away thinking that, you know, you're no good or you're a slacker or, uh, you know, you're probably not a good fit for whatever idea they might have had for you in the future, um, it's going to be really hard to change that. 
And even with your relationships, like if you're, if you're in an area, say you've had a, a rough childhood and everyone thinks you're never going to go anywhere, you know, all the people in the community think you're not going to go, they all know who you are in a negative light. You would have to like change the world for them to think that you are anything more than you are. And, and I even say in those situations, it might be worth it to move. Like if you're looking at advancing your life and you're surrounded with people that are all thinking negative towards you, uh, a lot of times it's easier just to change geography where people don't know you, get a blank slate and then start building your, your perception from there. And it goes into your workplace. If your boss thinks that you can't do anything right, um, first you need to figure out why they think that. There might be something about you you need to change, but uh, you might need to go to a different job because proving to that boss that you can do something right uh, is going to be an astronomical task. And uh, just because that's what, their comp that's what their bias is towards you. So, um, and that, and there's actually one other part of this is that also feeds into that fit factor because not everyone looks at the same job equally important. So there could be a boss that, let's just take customer service, for example, you've got somebody in customer service that, um, or somebody in a business that thinks customer service is the most important thing in my business. It keeps customers coming back. It keeps them happy. Uh, and I really need a good person to fill this role. And then you have somebody else in business that says, oh, I got to do customer service. I got to bring somebody in, I got to pay them so they can handle returns or whatever. And they don't have a real great view of, of what that job does for their company. Well, guess what? The one that thinks it's important is going to pay that person more. And it's the same skill set, you know, it's the same right. person that's probably the same skill set that's going to fill both jobs. But because that boss has a diff, has a confirm, has a bias, either good or bad towards that position will dictate how important it is. So one of the things I say in the book is when you're going in for an interview, grill the person that's interviewing you about what they think about your position. If they kind of brush it off or they're just looking for a warm body, find another position because you're not going to get paid. You're not going to get the same level of pay if your position's not valued. And that's um, a great point because people don't realize when you're going into an interview, not only are you being interviewed for that role, you're interviewing them. And <laughs> it, that can be hard to remember if you're really desperate for for a job at that point. But if you are not doing that, you are going to get into something that probably is not a good fit. Or I love what you're saying about, and had something I hadn't really thought about is whoever's hiring you, whatever their bias is toward that position is going to really impact whether they even think it's valuable or if they're gonna pay you well, or you might bring an amazing skill set in that they really need but because they don't like the idea of customer service, they don't really want to, you know, honor your skills or ha bring you in as, you know, like we're going to pay you this salary, but we're also going to give you like some base, some commission based on what you bring in or something like that. Like they aren't going to think outside of the box to, to make it more beneficial for that employee if they have a negative view of that role. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it was something else that came to mind there, and I just completely uh, lost that in my head too. But yeah, the the, uh, the bias, the bias, like once you realize that it's there, uh, and everybody has it, it's not something where it's like oh, I'm bias free. It's like no, everybody's got it, and they've got it towards right. just about everything. And so they say everybody's got an opinion, uh, like other things. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a like matter that. of figuring think, out when you should yeah. share it and with whom you know yeah, much like, more persuasive than that yeah yeah and so, people get caught up i think in oh well everybody needs to know what i think about this and i'm like well actually no like i'm not going to waste my time sometimes on 
some of these things that come up because most of us aren't going to get our minds changed by some argument in some benign place. Like, you know, like we aren't going to change our bias necessarily because of that. Right. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. I I actually, uh, one of the things I do talk about, because I talk a little bit about likability um, and, and one of the things that I feel like our society's gotten a little bit wrong, I haven't seen it focused as much now, but I think in like, I don't know, the late, the late 2000s, early 2010s, um, there was a lot of focus on celebrating our differences. Uh, but the science on likability is pretty clear. You like people if you notice things about them that are similar to you. It's like, so if you actually want to bring people together, you need to focus on your commonalities. Like we're all human, for instance. <laughs> we all have the same fears, emotions, hopes, dreams that, that humans have. Like we have so many things in common and those are the things that are gonna make us, uh, you know, eventually, that, those are the things that are gonna bring us together. That, that's what takes away that bias. And I say that in the book, it's like, you know, there, there's a couple different ways you can approach a conversation with somebody you don't know. Uh, you could go out and you could just like tell them all about yourself tell them all your political beliefs and everything that you think. Uh, and you've got a 50-50 shot of them thinking, oh yeah, this is a good guy. And a 50-50 shot of them wanting to sabotage everything you do for the rest of your life. Right. Um, the, the better approach is to just ask them questions about them. Don't talk about yourself at all. You know, once you know about them, you can talk about the things in your life that are similar to theirs. And, uh, and that is how you build rapport. That is how you create uh, a situation where people walk away from that first encounter with more of a uh, a positive bias towards you. Positive biases exist. You know, you, you want to, That's what you want to aim for. You want to be that person where it's like if the, if somebody hears that you did something stupid, they're going to be like, no, that person would never do that. And that's a positive bias. You know, right. that, it's like that favorite that that favorite sibling, right? That the, the parents love so much they can't do anything wrong because <laughs> the parents have that positive bias. Uh, that's in that's in all relationships, really. You know, it's you get that positive or negative bias, they can change. It's not to say that if someone has a negative bias, it can never change. It's just very difficult. You know, you've got to prove above and beyond. And then, and after, and after it does change though, if they've got that negative bias, you're, you're probably going to still suffer. If you trip up at some point down the line, they're gonna be like, Oh, I knew it wasn't really. But yeah, so I, I talk a lot about perceived value and how others perceive you influence how much money you take them. I try to tie everything back to, this is how this impacts your your your, uh, your check, your, your take-home check at the end of the month. Um, and so that's what the focus is. And then the last part of it is that I talk about is courage. Uh, courage is one of the defining elements that will define how far you make it in life. If you don't have the courage to step out and do something amazing, nothing amazing is ever going to happen. And, you know, and so well, some of the things I talk about there is there's, there's lots of ways to build courage. You don't have to like muster up some like fake sense of I'm going to do this, psych yourself up and then just go, you know, run into the ice and cold water or something. Um, you know, it's, it's more of doing things in advance. So if you, so let's just, let's just expound on that. I don't have this in the book, but say you're on a beach and you're looking at a pretty much frozen water. It's not completely frozen, but the temperature is like 32 degrees. Uh, and you're mustering up the courage to run into that water it's going to be real hard just to run in there in your swimming suit, right? right. Uh, but what if you took the time to go out to the store, you get yourself a dry suit, you get yourself up, you, you pump it up, you're insulated. Uh, and then you go and you walk into the water and it's no big deal. You barely even feel it. It's still a little cold. There's still a little bit of an issue with taking that step forward, but you prepared in advance and it makes it much easier. So that's what I focus on is I focus on ways you can prepare in advance for important things like asking for a raise 
or going into a job uh, salary negotiation. Um, they're going into a contract negotiation. There are lots of things where you're scared and you just got to take that step forward. And a lot of times the other thing that people run into is they think about the whole project. Like this is huge. Like when I was planning my first international uh, franchise conference, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to go over there to another country. I don't know. I know one person, <laughs> you know, that I've been working with, uh, with the American Chamber of Commerce there. And, uh, and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to present in front of a completely different culture, a completely different set of people. There's so much stuff. What if they ask me questions I'm not prepared for, you know, I mean, I'm an expert compared to most people, but I might not be an expert compared to everybody. So like, what if there's somebody there smarter than me? Like all of these fears. Right. Um, so, but what I did is I just, I made this just a, yes, this is happening. And I just focused on one step at a time. I'm not going to go jump straight on a plane over there. I took the time. I, I did my research with my franchises. I was going to present. I, I brought together other speakers. I got to know the place as much as I could. Um, you know, I, I got my presentations together. I practiced them until I knew them cold. Uh, you know, I did all of these things in preparation. So the time, by the time I flew over there and actually did the conference, you know, it, it was, it was like putting on that wetsuit and going into the water, you know, it's preparation. It's, it's, it's the decision that's hard, but you can do lots of things to prepare for that decision. And, and one of the other big things I talk about, um, or one of the two other things I talk about with courage, uh, one is goal setting. Uh, set macro goals, set micro goals, uh, set milestones. You know, if say, say you want to ask for a raise in three months, you know, you, you want to focus on what can I do to increase my perceived value by my boss in the next three months? So what is it that, the, that, that you know that your boss appreciates? Like you, you may have 10 things in your, in your job description, but what are the three that he went over the top on when he was training you? You know, what are the things that are most important? Focus on those, knock them out of the part do things, uh, you know, take initiative with things and just set the groundwork so that in that three months, you have a list of things that you know you've done that justify that raise. And it's not just me walking up and saying, oh, I need an extra $2 an hour or $10 an hour to make, to make the bills next month. You're walking up and saying, I've done all these things for your company. I've increased your revenue uh, or I, I've increased your profitability. Um, and, you know, I, I deserve this raise. <laughs> you've worked on it for three months. So the chances are you're going to do that. And then if you setting additional goals, like say, but say you have a, a longer term goal in two years, I want to be making 30 bucks more an hour than I'm making now. Um, so what you need to do are the micro steps that you need to do. Do you need to go ask your boss to see if uh, you can take on additional responsibilities to increase your role? Um, one of the things I always focus on in my book is focus on the big four. I, I call it the big four in my book, revenue, expenses, cost of goods sold and labor. The big four. Um, I don't know if anybody else calls them big four. I call them the big four. Uh, but this, uh, but these four things are what's really going to, um, if, if you're, if you're an employee and you focus on those and you, you either make it so you can do things with less labor, reduce the cost to acquire something, which that's the hardest one cost of gold. So if you don't have a background in acquisition, you probably can't touch that one, but it is important. So it's there. Um, expenses, anything you do to reduce expenses uh, or increase revenue, all of those things tie directly into how valuable you are to the company. And that's where you also have to focus on perceived value. Your boss has to know you're doing things to increase these. Uh, but uh, these, but focusing on those things uh, can help you achieve those. I feel like I'm going down a big rabbit trail. <laughs> I think I was talking about setting macro goals two years, right? So anyway, so 
So if you go to your boss and say, I want to take on additional responsibilities, you're reducing their need to hire more labor, thus decreasing their costs. And so that justifies you getting paid more, uh, basically. Um, the other thing is collaboration. So that would be an example of collaboration. You're collaborating with your boss and saying, uh, look, in, in three years, two years, three years, I want to be making $30 more an hour than I'm making today. And I know that's huge. What can I do to make that happen? And you let, and if, you know, they have, they obviously have to think that you're a good employee to want to work with you on that. But, uh, you know, a lot of businesses, if you're like, look, I want to become more valuable to this company and I want to get paid more for becoming more valuable, but show me the path. They'll probably work with you. Right. So, you know, it's collaboration uh, can go a lot of ways, especially for entrepreneurs. We collaborate all the time. Right. Uh, but if you're collaborating with somebody else, then it's not so scary because you're not walking up to your boss and saying, I'm going to make $30 more an hour in two years, or I'm finding another job. Right. You're going up and saying, I want to work with you, which is much less scary, right? Much less confrontational. Uh, so collaboration is another way to, re- to, to try to build courage and, and make it, make that decision more manageable. And being able to, the, the courage piece is huge. You know, it yeah. takes that to get out of your comfort zone. It takes that risk, you know, when you were talking about uh, a little earlier about leaving, like changing your geographic location, when you think people have a perception of you. And I, for me personally, that was kind of my incentive to go in the military to a clean slate, if you will, where people didn't know any of my previous challenges. And you could kind of choose what you told people based on their need to know (laughs) and so I have found a lot of people who there they had some incentive to go in the military because they were either escaping something or chaos or some kind of dynamic or they just wanted to do something new and um, for I mean I guess for me it was all of those things but that idea that you can I mean change it takes courage to change what you're doing and to step out into the unknown you know and but if you don't do that you are never going to get to the point where you're going to be able to collaborate or be brave enough to say hey i i want to i like you know working here i want to see how i can be more valuable how could we work together and i don't think most people talk about raises in that way like you're going in and demanding it right but if you back off and look at how can I collaborate to make this work, provided you like the company and like you're saying, the boss is, wants to do that with you, you know, you can create a lot more. And I think in the entrepreneurial space, that's a lot more common, like you can collaborate easier, but in a job, if it's not the right fit, <laughs> which I've had a few of those, you may not want to go in and try to collaborate. And I think that's where a lot of that that side hustle comes in that, you know, I think I could do a business. I'm going to go do this over here instead of putting in all that extra time. Now you're taking that and investing it in yourself and your future and your knowledge. And I think sometimes you've got to do both. People talk about work-life balance, but I think it's more like juggling and you have to figure out what will bounce and what will break, you know, and then you juggle to get to the next position or to get the raise or whatever you're doing, like you figure out how to juggle. But I wish I could think of the quote, but there's like a a quote that says like, without courage, like nothing else matters. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you'll you'll never take advantage of the opportunities that are brought your way. 
uh, you gotta you gotta have courage. But courage doesn't have to be something that's scary. I actually start out my my section on courage talking about fear and how important fear is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I bring up an example of somebody that's reaching over a hot burner on a stove. And your initial reaction when you realize when you feel that heat on your arm, not realizing that it's on, you like jerk back in fear. Right. But as long as, but your objective is still to reach over and, and you know turn on the stove, turn off the stove, reach a pot, whatever. So all you do is you step to the side, you, you take action to circumvent you know the the most dangerous part, and then you still complete your objective. And that's I think that's the essence of courage is you don't forcing your arm over the hot burner. Is not necessarily the best way to go, <laughs> right? <laughs> you can still you still want to achieve your objective, but you just make steps so that it's not you break it down in steps so that it's not one giant scary monster that's in front of you. So, and you're looking uh, at what can you do, just like you were like, how can yeah. I get around this? What can I do to still achieve my objective, even though this burner is hot, or I almost put my sweater on it, or, you know, you kind of take that step back and say, okay, well, that's not a good idea, but can I do it this way? And you just kind of redirect, I think, yep. and figure out, you know, your next course of action based on whatever's in front of you. And it's like, you, you need to plan, you need to prepare, but then right now in that battle moment, you might have to pivot a little, you might have to redirect what you're doing but it doesn't i had this conversation earlier today i'm like okay well that didn't work but here's all these five remaining facts that we're still dealing with so how are we going to pivot into dealing with these facts still remain but this plan over here didn't work how are we going to get around that and i think it comes with courage and you're able to face fear you're able to say hey, there's this thing going on, but there's another way that we can do this. And if you, but if you don't show up, if you don't try to figure out how to be courageous and overcome that fear or face the fear and do it anyway, I guess is the phrase, you know, you aren't going to get to your next achievement or your next goal if you aren't thinking of ways to be courageous and facing the stuff that shows up because you don't always know what's going to happen, right? You have to figure out what your plan was and then, well, that's not working. So now what am I going to do? And finding a way to get through that does require a great degree, I think, of of courage. Yeah, anytime you're looking at what's possible and what you can do instead of what you can't is going to take courage. The easy thing is to say, I can't do that. Here's the 10 reasons why this isn't possible and walk away. That's the easy thing. Because when you look at those 10 things that are in your way, the only way that, that you can move forward and look at what's possible is to try to figure out how to conquer those things. And that is not something that's generally easy. And things that aren't easy are scary. And things that are scary need courage to overcome. Uh, so courage is... It, I, I couldn't write my book without talking about courage because it, it doesn't matter how well you set yourself up in life um, as far as developing skills uh, or trying to find the right job. If you don't have the courage to go out, if you don't have the courage to apply for that underqualified position, you're never going to be able to jump into a role where you're developing at you know warp speed. Right. Uh, I think in the military, we call it jumping in the deep end, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> the deep end of the pool. Um, some other people say, I think, embrace the suck. Embrace um, 
<laughs> you know, and sometimes that's, you know, what you, you have to do. And, um, but I think what you're doing and talking about this, um, you know, all the different things that you're bringing to the table and how can you use what you have while you gain more of what you need is really that key conversation that we have to have when we're trying to figure out our transitions in life and what we're doing and being really aware. I think we undervalue ourselves, not necessarily wealth money wise, but what we bring to the table, we undervalue the skill sets that we have or the conferences we've been to or some of those things. And I, and I think that we don't always consider that you have a foundation here. What else, you know, you've already built something. What else can you do to, to reinforce that and, and grow grow what you do and so I think that's a really important perspective is to recognize the value that you are bringing while you're increasing your value and finding ways to uh, to pay it forward I always feel like there's so many people I can never repay but I can always pay it forward you know and it's it's just an example of one of the things that we can do is to really pay that forward, you know, really look at, like you were even saying around volunteering and that first impression, what do people have of you and how can you make it favorable? Not, not so much so that you want everyone to like you, but just so that you're putting out a favorable, you know, you're good, feeling good about what you're putting out there and you are going to attract more people who have similar, you know, skills, but, or, attracting people who have similar ideas about how you serve your community and how you collaborate and things like that. So I think it's really valuable to look at what you're already bringing while you're increasing, you know, the value that you continue to bring. Now I feel like I'm going down a rabbit hole. <laughs> so it's such a broad, it's such a broad topic that we're talking about. And uh, so can, is the book available or is that coming out soon or? Well, so we are pre-recording this this uh, this before it actually comes out, but it should be out by Thanksgiving. Okay. Um, I believe that we're airing this after Thanksgiving. So yes, my goal is that it will be out within the next uh, couple of days from this recording. But yeah, the book is called The Value Equation uh, by Joel Stewart, and uh, and I I'm just I'm really hoping that I can really the the whole goal of the book is you're stuck you're, you're stuck in career prison or you feel stalled out in life or you feel like your life's not going anywhere and it just has it explains how all these things work but then also tries to trigger inspiration in the reader I mean, that's the whole goal is that when you read through the book and, and i've got several case studies i have a case study of a cashier that's like early 20s no discernible skills uh, someone who's like a trades worker in their mid-30s and another person who's a, like a consultant in their 40s and I just, I go through the different concepts and how this person can apply them uh, to take their life to the next level. And, and the goal in all of it is that you just get inspired and say, you know what, that's something I can do. There, there could be like a thousand different principles in this book that you would never want to try to implement all at once because <laughs> you'd burn out in a week. Uh, but uh, if, if there's a handful of, like, even if there's five or 10 things that you're inspired with and says, I can do these things, you know, focus on one, two or three at a time. You know, don't, don't try to do them all. And, uh, but the goal is to inspire you out of where you are and get you to where you want to go. I mean, I, I, everyone has life dreams. 
And most people, especially by late 20s, early 30s, maybe late 40s, uh, late 30s, maybe they, they probably realize their life isn't going where they thought it might. And this is just to try to inspire them to say, you know, you've got this foundation that you've built already, you know, that may have had its ups and downs, but you've developed skills, you've developed relationships, you've developed all of these things. And these can be leveraged in ways that you might not think possible. All you need to do is go get a strategic skill set somewhere, like taking a strategic job or uh, acquiring uh, new knowledge, a certification program, or getting involved in your community and networking. Um, there's so many ways that you can take what you already have and build on it. And so that every step you take is a new foundation for the rest of your life. And you just keep taking those steps, step after step, and you just keep building a better, stronger foundation for yourself that is always advancing, continuous skill development. Uh, all of that is just, it, it's how you, you get out. But if you're not focused on it, you'll just get so distracted, so caught up in life that life just starts to go on without you. I, I went through it for, you know, five years where I, when I was disabled, where I just saw life going on without me. And honestly, it's a horrible feeling, <laughs> feeling like you're just stuck in a rut. Uh, and I, I want to inspire people that you're not stuck. You, you can start taking definitive actions today. And my book is designed to try to inspire those actions, to inspire uh, just having those epiphany moments where you realize, yes, this is something I can do. And having those, the micro and, and not trying to change everything all at one time, you know, finding the, the two or three things that are like, oh yeah, I could totally do that. You know, like I now I don't commute and I'm fine with that. It's not one of my values, but you know, you can find ways to listen to a book on, you know, on audible, you can find things on YouTube. There's, even if you are not in a position to do much more than that time-wise there's still incremental things that you can start to do that can help you start being more inspired it can help you shift that mindset and like you're saying though once you realize it's something you could focus on then that's when you can start to shift what you're focused on and and I love that idea that it doesn't have to be a lot you can pick a couple things and start there and then you're building you keep building that and then you start to become more confident about moving into bigger things. So I love that idea that there, there is hope, even though we might be sitting on a couch at one point now you might be speaking internationally, not that long from now. So <laughs> you just don't know what, where it will go once you start making some of those courageous decisions. So I thank you for taking the time to be here and tell us about your book and uh, what you're working on and the journey. You know, I think we all need a good old dose of hope right now. Um, and I believe that you provide that. And I'm very grateful for the connections that we have through our veteran status. And um, I was just thinking even last year at Military Influencer Conference, that was, you know, a a move in courage for a lot of us who weren't sure what we were going to benefit from, right? <laughs> or how that was going to play out. And it, yeah, it, it was a blessing, totally a blessing um, to actually get out of that comfort zone and totally meet new people and, and reconnect with others. So, um, and I appreciate what you're doing around the franchise work and helping people know, you know, what their options are. So what's the best way for people to get a hold of you or, connect with you um well i've got uh you can email me uh joel.stewart at integritycommercial.biz i always take an email 
You can find me on uh, Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, my my uh, tagline is Joel Stewart MBA. Uh, had had to have something at the end of the Joel Stewart. Too many Joel Stewarts out there, but uh, so I thought, <laughs> but um, yeah, e either one of those locations. You can message me. You can email me, and I I'm happy to talk with you. It's uh, one of those things, you know. As a in in that in that realm of what I do, you know, as a as a franchise consultant, I'm I'm a valued member of the team. You know, if I can help you find a franchise that gets your life where it wants to go. Um, you know, it's, I get compensated by the industry. I, you don't, you don't pay me anything. So I'm a free resource in that regards, just like when, when you approach a W2 headhunter and they try to find you jobs that fit your skill set. Same thing. It's, it's the employer that, that pays them, not you. So, uh, well, yeah, if I can help, I love to help. That's the passion. <laughs> that, that's what I'm passionate about. That's why I started doing what I'm doing. That's why I wrote this book is, uh, I have this pathological need to try and help people. So <laughs> You are doing that. I think that. it's because I've been through so much where people help me. I, I just, like you said before, it's like paying it forward. And uh, I found a profession where I can do that and I can help people and someone else pays me to do it. So it makes sense to me. Well, that sounds perfect. And I encourage folks to reach out to Joel and have a, have a conversation and just uh, keep an eye out for his book that's coming out shortly. Yeah, check it out. And even if uh, you got people graduating high school or college that might want something to inspire them. I, I'm, I have all these thoughts about follow-on books. Uh, I've got one that I was thinking about, about it, like uh, leveling up your life or you're picking your class and <laughs> go through like your life's a role-playing game, uh, kind of adapting it that way for high school seniors. Lots of fun ideas I can build off of this. But anyway, I, I don't want to go into a whole other concept. I know we've uh, gone pretty long here already. So. Well, thank you so much for being here today. And I, I look forward to seeing all the great things that are that are coming out from all your courageous efforts. And thank you. Your, your life's been an inspiration for me as well. So thank you. <laughs> if you or a loved one has a hoarding problem, let's work together on a solution. 